1: E nai tēnei nā te reo irirangi o
0: Hi, it's Asha. Just a warning that this episode contains references to the mosque attacks of March 15, 2019. Some of the material could be disturbing to some people. This can be hard stuff. If you need to talk to a trained counsellor, just ring 1737. Mm-hmm.
2: We talk about survivor's guilt in, in the community. It's not just survivor's guilt. It's everyone going back and thinking about themselves. What have they not done right to not be given this honour?
0: On March 15th, 2019, 51 people were blessed with the honour of being a martyr. that. I was there in the mosque and I saw
1: lots of people, you know, top of each other. And that is the hardest bit for me and I can't talk about it. That is the pain I feel
0: every time, you know. I feel something really, really sad. 51 people left family, friends, loved ones behind. For me, I've been just trying to keep myself busy and, and focus on my daughter. Four women have allowed us into their lives, sharing their beliefs, their challenges, and the love they had for their husbands, who were taken that day. It's hard for me to say the
2: word killed, been shot and killed. That then gave him what we hope is the title of a mantra, right? Ashwada.
0: I'm Asha Abdi, and this is Widows of Shuhada. the story of four widows, Farah, Niha, Hamima and Mohopo, in the year following the terror attack on two mosques in Christchurch. Kia ora my nau mai, mai. Kia ora everybody, this is Morning Report, Ko Koran It's Friday, November the 29th. It's Black Friday.
1: The Black Friday frenzy, an estimated 116 million shoppers hitting the stores. Bedlam in the aisles of some of the nation's biggest retailers, shoppers fighting over garments.
0: A measles outbreak is ravaging Samoa. The measles' death toll in Samoa is expected to pass 40 today. We heard yesterday from the Red Cross um, with, with those ominous words that the worst is yet to come. Yet the impacts of the Christchurch mosque attacks... Still radiate. The Muslim community does not want the Christchurch attacks used as justification for the latest round of changes to gun laws.
1: Anjan Rahman says Muslims are still being targeted.
0: We saw a pregnant Muslim woman in a hijab last week beaten uh, in a restaurant in a public place with cameras rolling. If we add guns to the mix, what might that violence have looked like? Nine months on, Sinjida Jamani has plans for rebuilding hinge on a bureaucratic decision about whether she can stay in New Zealand.
1: I don't have any visa. I'm waiting for my residence visa, and I don't know whether I'll get it. This is the single most important thing for me.
0: Mahuba Ali Alijama is still struggling to move past what she saw that day. Farah Talal has returned to Jordan, to her family, a difficult decision as she knows she'll be reliving and retelling the story of March 15th to family and friends there. And Hamima Tuyan, who lives in Singapore, is returning to New Zealand, revisiting the house she shared here with her husband, Zechariah, the 51st victim, the last person to die from the deep wounds of the March massacre.
2: I was looking forward to coming here, especially to pray at the mosque again.
0: Al Noor was a special place for Hamima. The family worshipped here while she studied at the University of Canterbury. Once she earned her PhD in 2018, she returned to Singapore with her two boys to repay her government study bond. Zachariah stayed to work in New Zealand as an IT specialist with the hope that one day the family would live together again in New Zealand. Today, Hamima's returned to Christchurch for a long weekend. Hopping off the 12-hour flight to head straight to Alnord Masjid, she was there in time for Friday prayers. Hello, sister, how are you? how are you? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, yeah. I was there too. Friday prayers are a bit like church service in Christianity. People catch up before and after the service, we listen to a qutbah, or sermon by the imam. Then we all stand side by side and do our Islamic prayers together. Hamima reconnected with many friends, like Jamiah Jones, the religious advisor for the series.
1: It was good to see her back into in Christchurch again. Mm. She's a good friend and also a family friend. I was surprised at how well she looked. And it seems she's very grounded mm-hmm. within herself. Even though she talked to us about some really difficult stuff, like the weeks after Zeki died. Uh, Zeki? Yeah, that's what we all used to call him, short for Zachariah. We call him Zeki.
0: <laughs> and I never met him, so what was he like?
1: Mm. He was a handsome-looking Turkish guy. <laughs> he, he was physically fit and strong, but he's got this gentle... And shy, smile on him all the time. Uh, he loves his family. The boys love him so much. We could see he's always interacting with the two boys. And the two boys are cheeky, very <laughs> cheeky, just like him. <laughs> That's so cute. He's being missed, but so are the other many people that died on that day. We as Muslims keep reminding ourselves that this is Allah's plan and we don't question it. It's just the way it should be. We believe in faith and predestination and therefore we believe that there are a bigger plan, a bigger picture that God has for us that we do not know of. And so we just accept it. For
0: Hamima. Knowing exactly where her husband had been praying when he was shot is important to her. After the attacks, Zechariah spent many weeks in a state of unconsciousness. Except for the first time, Hamima and the boys entered his hospital room. That day, as they walked in, he gestured to them urgently with his hands to move out of the way, holding his fingers in the shape of a gun, as if to warn them that the gunman was close. Hamima had asked some of the survivors of the attacks where they thought Zechariah had been. She'd asked her husband too.
2: When he was able to communicate a little, I did ask him where he was sitting and he, his, he gestured where. I thought he said he was sitting. You know, it's very interesting. I was also thinking about it at that time that I have not been able to pray at that specific spot in that mosque where I thought he would be. I don't know why I would want to do that, but I guess it's so that I could feel near to his memory, as near as possible. So maybe one day I'll do that.
0: So, traditionally... An imam leads the prayers, and the men pray behind the imam in straight rows, followed by straight rows of children. Women pray in rows behind the children. This is so it's less distracting and there's a more ability to focus on the worship. But nowadays, the women have their own private space in many masjids, and children who are praying pray wherever they want, like a lord. Here, the mosque's main prayer rooms are used by men during our five daily group prayers, but most other times, the mosque is empty and available for anyone to pray wherever they feel like. So, Hamima hopes to pray in her special spot one day. As Hagley Park, across the road, fills up with cricket players in the December sun, Al-Nord Mosque fills with worshippers for Friday prayers. Hamima is there too.
2: How are you? Alhamdulillah, <laughs> how are you? I just the weekend for a short visit, and then I go back. Yeah. yeah. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Okay, now working? Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Just the, the thankfulness that, you know, I'm still alive and healthy to make it back and to be able to pray in this mosque again. So that was all very overwhelming. That helped a lot today to meet the sisters again. and So that was instant healing in a way. You know, we're, we're not just... Sisters, um because the community is so small, we are family, we are like you know not you know in, in in Islam, we call each other sister sister, but that could simply just be a title that you give to someone, but th- there are groups of sisters that when I call them sister, it's more than that it's actually it's not just a title, it's actually yeah, I treat them like my blood family because they've been there for me since day one, and then when this happened, you know they really stepped up and, yeah, and, and, and and sacrificed their time for me and my family.
0: And she needed all that support. Those days and weeks after the shooting were a gruelling time for the Tuion family from the moment they landed in Christchurch in the early hours of March 16th.
2: A friend met us at the waiting area And we just drove as quickly as we could to the hospital. By the grace of God, that morning, of course, uh, the place was, you know, limited for other traffic as well. So it was all very smooth. We could find parking (laughs) that morning. I was so amazed. But then I guess at that point, I was still, I was anxious. But at the same time, I was still unsure of how to feel about everything until we got to the ICU. Uh, the liver surgeon. So he and a couple of nurses met me just outside before they took me to his bed and explained to me what was the situation like. So he had been in critical condition at that point. So after he, after he explained it to us, um, we went in. The sight of my very strong husband You know, with all the wires around him and lying there, motionless, that was very hard to take. Very, very hard to take. Just, Just imagining the pain he went through, but yet having these two boys next to me and then also my brain having to process how to explain to them what's happening to their daddy, to their baba. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to so much think about all of that. I just did what I needed to do, talk to him, convince him that we are here. I don't even know if he could listen to us, but we tried. We talked. We recited Quran for him. We prayed with him. By afternoon, um, the doctors told us that his situation is now stable. So at that point I was like what's the difference between critical and stable he still look you know he still looks the same to look the same to us but apparently stable is good so for the next 2 weeks or so we've been holding on to him being stable and continue being stable so that's that became then a waiting game just time waiting for him to respond Um, And in the meantime, I had 101 things to um, distract me. Visitors, a lot, a lot, a lot of visitors. Um, Administrative things that I had to deal with. Police, social workers, volunteers. So that got me busy and and, um, occupied. The second day, my brother came. By that time, my brother had come to join me from Melbourne. So a lot of my good friends were at the mosque. They were, they, became, they were victims themselves. They've lost somebody or they were then having to help other people even though they themselves are still grieving and pulling themselves out from the experience. And then I also um, went to the um, burial um, ceremony for one of my friend's um, son who, who was also one of my children's best mates.
0: All of this was happening while Hamima tried to help her sons, aged four and nine at the time. make sense of what was happening. By the fourth
2: day, my little one was saying, Umi, let's just go back to Singapore and Skype Baba. Because his idea of his Baba is that man, that guy, who is in the screen, chit-chatting with him, playing games with him, you know. But this Baba in front of him at that point was not responding, was not saying anything. He's got lots of wires that scared the boy. So by the fourth day, he was just saying, let's just go home with me. I mean, very nonchalantly. So he was just saying, let's just go home with me and let's just Skype him. So I wish it was that easy, right? But one of the male nurses was amazing too. So I think... He was explaining to the boys about the numbers on the screen and what it means. And then we got this idea of, you know, come in when you touch Baba, he he can hear you and then that numbers will rise. We wanted to make we want it to go up to hundred. Okay, let's see if we can do that. So you know so he started touching his baba, and then I said, see, when you tickle him, the numbers start jumping, and by the grace of God, the number did jump. So the number did, so that encouraged him to tickle him some more. So we got him from not wanting to get into the ICU to just standing at the edge of the bed to actually coming and touch his daddy's leg and tickling his daddy, and the numbers jumped. So um, that actually gave me a... um, I don't know, you know, what that did to my head? To have my son touching his dad. I mean, these are boys, when they see their father, they will both jump on him and he will carry them, (laughs) leave them both, you know. They are my husband and myself, we are very touchy-feely with our children. So, you know, for him not to want to even touch his father, that broke my heart. And when he finally actually tickled to his feet and we got him to, you know, to do that. Yeah, that was like a whole weight off my shoulder now with this little one. And the brother was also at that point starting to, you know, to feel like he needs to distance himself from that image as well. But he's starting to come and again touch his father's hand. And now it becomes like a little competition who can make the number jump higher, you know. So that helped a great deal for me too, emotionally. The fact that my children are starting to, you know, kind of in my head accept... Um, the situation.
0: Although Zechariah's condition was now stable, it wasn't improving. So the waiting and the praying continued day by day. That's
2: basically six weeks mm-hmm. of our lives. We we would send the children. Well, after a while, when I when I had yeah, a chance to actually read my emails, I found out that on the day that the incident happened, my sons, my little ones, um, former childcare had reached out to me and offered. A place for my son on the day itself, you know, for them to think about me and my son. How can I not be grateful for that? And my son's school as well reached out, the principal, oh, he's an amazing guy, reached out and said, You can just send him anytime, you don't have to worry about anytime you want to send him and anytime you want to take him, you know. So um, so we got into this routine of sending the children out by eight o'clock and then we will be at the at the um, hospital by nine, and then um, we will leave at 9 p.m., and, we, you know, that, that ICU waiting room has become like our second home. So when the boys were not in school at that point, when they were not in school yet, for about two weeks they were not in school, they were starting to get very restless because, like, you know, how can you contain a nine-year-old and a four-year-old in a small room? I, I was also quite torn. I mean, they don't have they may not have a lot of time with their dad left. And so should I be selfish and send them to school just so that it's convenient for me? Or do I keep them there, the ICU, and then they get restless and then, you know, I get yeah. So in the end I thought, yeah, send them to school. They shouldn't be there anyway. They're still young. Yeah, so it's nine to nine, we'll pick them up after three and then come back to the um, ICU and then they watch their TV or they play games together or they read. We've got lots of all these packs for children that was given to us by the community. But that was our life. Nine to nine. Pretty isolated from the outside world. I didn't have a lot of chance to Um, go on Facebook or to read anything to what follow the news um, because I I have very limited time with him. Even though it's 9 to 9, he has the dressings need to be changed quite often and every time they change his dressing, it will be about, like, two hours. It will take about two hours to change his dressing.
0: Week after week passed. It was May second, 2019. I had a phone call from one of the doctors that
2: said that... um, the surgeon would like to, to meet with me, the doctor in charge and, and a surgeon would like to meet with me. So we went in the room and um, so he spoke about a surgery that needs, needed to be done. My neighbours were so kind to say that they will mm. take the ch- uh, my, my boys um, for the night. One of the sisters in the community, it so happens, well, We don't believe in it so happens. We believe that everything is by the will of God. So he sent her to come visit me because she had been busy. She's a nurse and she's also a very active member in the community. She had been busy, but God sent her that evening. My brother had left for Melbourne, yes, so I didn't have my driver. (laughs) So she she helped me to send my boys to my neighbours. And then instead of going home... She decided to come back to the ICU to just spend time with me to to help keep me company. So we were sitting in one of the um, ICU in one of the waiting room, and we were actually talking about my love life and love history with my husband. And then the surgeon came back, and that was when we got the news. And I was just fortunate to have that sister next to me when when I had to receive that news. Yep.
0: Yeah. Seven weeks after the mosque massacres in
1: Christchurch, the attacks have claimed a 51st victim. A 43-year-old Turkish man died last night after a long battle in Christchurch Hospital's intensive care unit. The family have
0: requested absolute privacy.
1: Losing another person, and more children becoming orphan, and another woman becoming widowed. So it's extremely hard for the community. He was a real hero, and um, he is in paradise now. But at the middle of all of this is the faith and what Allah
2: expects of us. You know what we have been taught in our religion about. Dealing with pain and suffering. If you've lost someone, and there's just a lot of verses in the Quran and in the Hadith as well about how you are to deal with losing someone. And in my case, you know, you have I have lost a husband that has been, it's hard for me to say the word, killed, been shot and killed by someone. And his life is taken away. That then gave him what we hope is the title of a mantra, right? A shuhada. So that helped. What more can anybody ask? Do you know, when we talk about survivor's guilt in, in the community, it's not just survivor's guilt. It's everyone going back and thinking about themselves. What have they not done right to not being given this honour? So for me, I also look at it as of all the people in the community... Allah has chosen my husband to honor him with such ending. And he has honored me with going through this journey. And if I'm patient and I'm persevered, then I have succeeded.
1: I've
2: always been reminded about, you know, in terms of then, The goal that I also set for myself, I've always been reminded that what really defines a person is how they come out of a struggle. And I don't want what was done, what that guy has done to my community. I do not want to be consumed by hate or by fear. And I don't want him to define how I come out of this. I define, with the help of my creator, how I will come out of this whole experience and it will be stronger as an individual. And I'm seeing it even as a community that we are going to be stronger.
0: The next day, Saturday, we all went to an informal event at the mosque for women and children. There's an area behind the mosque where we always have this kind of thing. There's about a hundred women and smaller children milling around talking, eating, and there's a lot of hugs and a bouncy castle, face painting, and a sausage sizzle. I remember events like this when I was a little girl growing up here. They were always so much fun. Bara isn't here. She's returned to Jordan to be with her family to get some distance from her loss. But Hamima sees lots of other friends. Congratulations are congratulations. If you need anything just let us all know okay it's gonna be hard. She also meets Niha and gets to cuddle baby Nord, who's three months old now. Her hair is growing a lot too. A tuft of dark black hair is making her cuter than ever. I will hold her now.
2: No, it's my oh. turn. <laughs> it's my turn. I want a girl. Bandy I've got Gandhi's. two boys. Oh, sure.
0: yeah, sure. yeah. Mahubba's here too. These two widows, one only 21 and the other nearly 60, have both had wonderful developments in their lives, changes they hope will help them, as they never life without their husbands. After the March attacks and the death of her husband, Mahoba moved into the house of her elderly mother and two brothers but the house is very small and noisy. Mahubba has found it hard to find the quiet she needs to heal from her husband's death, but also doesn't want to live alone in her own house. So, after waiting for nine months for a housing New Zealand house that was big enough for the whole family, Mahubba said that they finally found one. It could take a wee while for the house to be ready and for the family to move, but we could see from her brighter eyes and excited voice then the news had really cheered her up. We'll catch up with Mahubba again soon, for our next episode. And for Niha, really life-changing news. I am really happy that I am now able to stay in New Zealand. Niha and Noor weren't automatically entitled to stay in New Zealand, since Niha wasn't living in Christchurch at the time of her husband's death. But now, after months of uncertainty, she and baby Noor have at last been granted permanent residency. Two widows who lost their husbands in the Christchurch terror attacks are one step away from being granted New Zealand residency. A special direction's been granted and then now we will follow through with the residence process. A special direction can only be issued by the Minister of Immigration. It's a waiver for special circumstances and once this is granted, a formal application for residency must follow. Niha is animated and excited at this news. Eyes sparkling, a big smile she's hugely relieved that her baby's future will be in New Zealand, just like her husband, Omar Farooq, dreamed of. With some help from a friend, Niha was able to express her feelings in English. I am really happy that I am now able to stay in New Zealand, which will help me to raise
1: my girl, Nuri Umar, the way my husband wanted her to grow. I am thankful to all of you, everyone who helped me in this all and made this thing happen. My mom will also join me soon and help me in looking after Noor. It is no doubt a great sign of relief for me.
0: Some of the steps that our widows take towards recovery from the tragedy are small. For Niha and Noor, this big step will shape the rest of their lives. It's so great that niha has been able to share with us in English. Since we first sat down with her back in August, she's been attending an informal English class for mothers and babies. You know, it's because she's young and a lot of online content is in English, so she just picks up words really quickly. Which is good, because with a new baby, she can't really get out of the house much for formal classes. That's a key reason why she needs her mother to come to help out. So, now that Niha knows she can stay in New Zealand, her mother will get organised to come. After the sisters have entered the mosque, we took Hamima to her house in the Christchurch neighbourhood of Bishopdale. It was here that Hamima lived with Zechariah and their sons. Our lemon,
2: and that's our peach tree! Ah, oh, peach!
0: Sorry! He was a passionate gardener.
2: Sorry. I haven't, I haven't, yes, I haven't seen my peach tree, uh, like, you know, growing at all since we've grown it. This is my very, very first time. All I get were pictures. Oh my God, but now I get to touch my peach tree while it's on the tree, live! I have a picture of my son watering it, you know. And then when because we always leave for for the holidays in the summer, so I don't get to actually see my tree bearing fruit. This is my first time. Yeah, my neighbors would, you know, message me and said, Your trees are dropping, let me make jam out of them. Yes, please go ahead. So she would make jam and I never get a chance to eat my peach. This is my first time. <laughs> To think. No, no problem.
0: Out of While we wandered around Zechariah's garden, a neighbour came out to say hello. Hi, Pamela. Jeez. my friend from across Hi, the right. yes. yes. I
2: know no, she is, and she's no, quite not, stubborn. But she wouldn't have allowed no. me to help her. Then another. You too, yes. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.
1: Yeah, to the family and all that. Thank
2: you, to you too. OK? I Keep healthy.
0: In Zachariah's slightly overgrown garden, under his laden peach tree, Hamima reflects on her children, who no longer have their father to wrestle around with in the garden. They seem strong, maybe even stronger than me sometimes.
2: He's been asking about the attack and using the term attack for, 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 for the first time in so long. Well, I've been using the word accident or Baba's hurt, but never used the word attack. But he has been using the word attack. Why? And, and this, was, this was the question that he just asked me two days ago. Why? Why did Baba get attacked? So it was hard to answer.
0: It's a question that all of the parents in our series, Niha...
1: I always have the question in my mind when she grows up. She'll ask me, where's my father?
0: How am I going to answer that question? Father, she doesn't understand his absence. Like, it doesn't make sense. Where is he? Why is he not calling? And now Hamima are asking themselves, what do you say to a young child about the atrocities of March 15th?
2: What I said to him was, nobody ever attacks a weak person. They always attack a strong person. So we talk about Wakanda, we talk about, you know, because he's, he's a bit too young for me to talk about the heroes of Islam, you know. So I said, you know, when you look at all these Avenger Avengers, heroes, nobody attacks the, the little people. They all want to attack the strong, you know, and your Baba was very strong. Remember, his he's Ertudo. So all those stories... So it's like, hmm, OK, but I think this boy, he's still not buying it. I think he will still ask me the question again. But for now, that seemed to have helped.
0: When we arrived at Christchurch Airport to see Hamima off, we sat down for a coffee to look back on Hamima's emotionally charged weekend.
2: I want to continue to make sure that my children, you know, in terms of psycho that they are accepting like i feel satisfied that they have put a lot of this aside i want to make sure that you know they receive whatever emotional support that they can receive from me from a strong mom i want us three to be strong together but at the same time my husband and i we have a lot of dreams for them so it's my Duty to help him realize the dreams that he had for his boys. We've always talked about raising them as all rounded children um, to be good in everything, especially the religion that's now on my shoulders. Um, and I want to make him proud of me. In terms of myself, I hope to move on from. Talking about the incident from my perspective, I again I wouldn't want to let the the the, the hate and the fear uh, that he had or the people that support him had, even if it's just one listening out out there, to move from not knowing anything about Islam or knowing everything from the media to now being moved to want to read up about Islam from proper, proper sources or even come to me and ask me questions about Islam or go get to know a Muslim and find out about Islam from them or what Muslims do, then I think I've done what I've set my mind to want to do from now on.
0: Cradling a flat white, she seems lively and strong, almost as if she was relieved.
2: Surprised myself. I was, you know, very anxious and very nervous about coming back. But um, I've I've been very surprised, you know, as to how easily I just settled back in. It's coming back home, you know, for me. Meeting friends and families and neighbors and getting, you know, being able to catch up with them even in this short time that I'm here. Uh, I thought it was going to be very, very emotional. Yeah, but it, it was a different kind of emotion. It was happiness
0: and gratitude. Being away and then returning to Christchurch, to her Muslim brothers and sisters here, Hamima has noticed a few changes. What I do see
2: um, are the happy faces compared to the faces that I saw before. That's a sign of um, strength, uh, growth, moving forward by the community. Yes, Um, we will never move on in the sense that we forget about what had happened, but we, we move forward in terms of, okay, let's get ourselves together and let's now work towards how to heal together. And, you know, um, so that's, that's, that's a very good um, sight to see. Um, but then also in terms of my interactions with non-Muslims, I'm very heartened to see that they are now more forthcoming and they're asking questions. They're not as, um, I don't know, fearful or afraid as before to approach a non-Muslim. So I hope that this communication, this um, open openness
0: would continue and would go on. Yeah. But grief is a long and winding road. Next year, there'll be a trial for the man accused of setting all this in motion.
2: And I, I see that as, again, a part of my growth, I think. Because when it all first happened and they asked for victims' impact statement, I, I was opposed to it for myself. I didn't want, because when I heard that the judge will be reading it out or could be reading it out, I didn't want to write a victim impact statement because I didn't want him listening to how he has impacted us or what he has done has impacted me. And I also turned down a lot of um, requests for interviews because for the same reason, I didn't want to... I didn't want him and his supporters to to have to hear um, what what they've kind of put us through, quote unquote. Um, and so, I, I I I again, I wanted to quickly move on. And I feel for me um, to move to move on and move forward, I, it will take me to be mentally strong. And so that was how I protected myself um, psychologically. Um, but then. Yeah, I got wiser. (laughs) And I I, I feel that, you know, there are is, there is some benefits and advantage to actually speaking and to be true to what I feel about reaching out to non-Muslims and the listeners who, who may not know about Islam and Muslims. So I thought, yeah, I probably have a role in that. I hope that um, the New Zealand media would um, once again um, set the standards for international media in how they dealt with the situation the first time by getting together and agreeing not to use his name and not to give him the, the, the publicity that he seeks and um, not to indulge him in his narcissistic um, tendencies you know yeah so that's my wish
0: in the next episode of Widows of Shuhada we'll focus on women's role in Islam how will these women navigate through a world with such strong gender traditions, now, without their husbands. After her cathartic visit to Christchurch, Hamima gets back into her busy life as a single working mother in Singapore. We'll talk to Farah in Jordan to find out if heading back to the closeness of her large family has helped her move forward into a new life without her beloved husband, Atta. Neha and Mahobo have so much to look forward to with big changes on the horizon. Thanks for listening. This is Asha Abdi. This series was produced by Community Access Radio Plains FM for RNZ. Made possible by the RNZ New Zealand ONI Innovation Fund.
2: Yeah, it's like Jacinda. She said, You look like I that. I'm
1: just in the No. no. Yeah. You look no. like. No, I don't like this. Remember uh, oh, when she wears. Oh, when she put this stuff, yeah. yeah.
0: Farah, niha, Muhabba, and hamima. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and for letting us walk alongside you for a little while. Barakallahu fiqum. Ngana wrote and produced this podcast series with support from Nikki Reese, Jamiah Jones, Asma Azar, and me, Asha Abdi. And a very big helping hand from the RNZ podcast team, Liz Garton and Justin Gregory had a lot to do with this episode. To Tim Watkin and Senior Commissioner Kay Almers, Jazakallahu khair. Thank you and may Allah bring you goodness. Lots of others mucked in, including Brian Lustavika, Alex Hamer, Our caring translators Ali Mohammed and Alka Srivanasan, and the entire team at Plains FM. There are some touching photos by the talented Janeth Gill. Check them out on the RNZ website. The beautiful music is from Haseem Shaheen, an Egyptian oud player, and Liam Oliver from Christchurch. You can find Worders of Shohaddaa podcast on rnz.co.nz, plainsfm.org.nz, or any podcatcher, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Podbean, and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. And to the 51 who were lost that day, inna lillahi wa inna raji'un. We came from Allah, and to Allah we shall return.